0: Everyone, welcome to yet another in the endless, humorless onslaught of inevitable <laughs> frame rates <laughs> that will pound you like the waves on the shores of time until you're bones and dust. I'm Michael Slame, nice. uh, one of the hosts of Frame Rate, the show where we rate frames. And who's here
1: with me? I'm the other guy. I'm the other voice who does this my name is Abe Epperson the other voice who um, does this hey speaking
0: of yeah. other voices
2: hey mine's,
0: yeah, mine's a little fakey today at the top of this episode so why don't yeah. you take us to a genuine grounded place special guest who are you
2: hi I'm the special guest my name is Sarah Griffith I uh, am from other small beans podcast sessions rough stuff and the cast in the curious today I am uh, joining the boys as we talk about flicks and films.
0: Woo! That pretty well covers it. Uh, <laughs> I think we can get out of here. She got yeah. the plugs in, everything. No, yeah, let's we, do this stupid dog, little bit yeah. in the middle that we call the podcast frame rate. Yay. Um today we're talking about you know, recently we covered B movie. I thought that movie was beneath us covering. I don't know why I bring this up, because I actually don't think this movie's beneath us covering. It's been on the list from day one, because yeah. I, I think it's very underrated. Um, but I'm so glad you picked it, Sarah. And it's an odd choice for it, given the, the track record of what we pick on this podcast. Why did you pick this film? What film did you pick? And hey. what's your relationship to it?
2: Yeah baby yes. yeah we watched, hey. Aust- <laughs> we watched my wife we watch Austin Powers International Man of Mystery That's uh right. y'all gave me a <laughs> list of movies you're like oh, these are the ones that we're looking at and there were a lot of like you know five star Citizen Kane
0: is on the list. I've never seen it.
2: (laughs) I scrolled right down and locked eyes with my main man, Austin Powers. So a little background. I uh, actually revisited the trilogy not too long ago. And by not too long ago, I literally can't remember if I mean last year or in 2018. So let's just say sometime recently. That
0: period's a blur, yeah. Yeah,
2: I revisited Mm -hmm. the original trilogy because... As a child, like under the age of eight, I loved these movies. I loved these movies so much. Actually, I think Austin Powers, A Spy Who Shagged Me was like the first movie that I truly fell in love with and wanted to watch all the time. Way, way, way too young. If you're thinking that, you're correct. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I just remember like loving it so much. And then as I rewatched it as an adult not only was it confirmed for me that, oh, yes, actually, even as an adult, that even as a grown woman who has a sense of, like, feminism and how women are portrayed on screen and, like, these really raunchy sexual jokes, I was honestly nervous. I was like, I really hope, I'm sure this is aged not great, but I'm really hoping that I'm not embarrassed at the end of revisiting these movies. And not only did I re-fall in love with them as an adult – I realized, holy shit, I have based my entire personality off of these films. Like everything that I <laughs> say, everything that I do, the fashion, the aesthetic. I think I would have
0: noticed. If oh, the here's case. the
2: thing. Here's the thing. I didn't realize it actually until recently. And I was listening to myself on a podcast I was on. And I unironically said, yeah, baby. Yeah. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fuck, dude. Oh, I no. T- I talk like Not in like an Austin, Austin Power's, Powers voice. In no, your own voice. but genuinely, what they say in this like, movie- yeah,
0: baby, yeah.
2: Yes, exactly. <laughs> do, in, I horny, yeah. do I make hey, you horny, Michael? Do I make you horny? Do I make you Randy? <laughs> do I, do do I, I make, make you,
0: you, you horny, baby? <laughs> no, Look, these are the to, like, is, is
1: personality not just a bunch of sleeper hits that we just like- Encompass like it's just a little bit of a dash of this, a little bit of dash of that. It is, well, and, and it's also and, yeah. Go ahead. Well, Sorry. this
2: movie is also like I think iconic class. Like I think especially this first one became such a big part of pop culture that it's a little bit one of those things where it's like culture transcending this source material and just becoming something we say. Like I think Star Wars is a great example of that. That like even if you've never seen Star Wars, you probably have encountered star wars references and quotes like you can't avoid it i feel like austin powers maybe has a touch of that effect for uh millennials Absolutely. i'm gonna pause and there's that. a
0: little blowback that is a sh- kind of a shame or it's like uh for example then the same is true of borat it is funny now it is legit funny To make a reference about how someone makes an Austin Powers joke because they can't think of anything better. It's like the bargaining joke. That Mm -hmm. is funny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it makes you forget that the reason... Austin Powers is so ubiquitous is Austin Powers the movie is actually really good like it, it rips so that's why funny. it got it to, so the funny. same is true of the Borat movie where you're like I understand it's overplayed it's like an overplayed song that is actually you're like that song is good though that's why it was exactly. overplayed um, for yeah, cultural go ahead.
1: relevance I just wanted to say as we're bringing up Borat uh, they were made for roughly the same budget Wow, those two films and Borat sitting at box office at 260 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin Powers sitting at like 70 million. It is not as ubiquitous as I thought it was. Sure. I did thought you it was look, like culturally dominant. It, did you look it up? It wasn't. It wasn't.
0: The sequels? Like, did the sequels get escalatingly more money or not? I wonder.
1: Uh, that's usually the
2: case. It must, because Gold Member. I mean like, the budgets are bigger. Sir but I'm Michael Kane if they, is a co-star yeah. of Goldmember. Like they, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah he
1: got they got Michael Kane for the second they got one. Right? Tom Cruise. Uh, yeah, Steven Spielberg <laughs>
2: yeah. has a cameo in the third movie. Like it's it's pretty oh, intense. Yeah.
1: yeah, baby, The who <laughs> Shagged Me. Oh. Uh, double, the bu- double the budget and three hundred million. So it it did. Way better than the yeah. first one, yeah. So, and so, I think that wow. speaks to
0: how the cult- cultural relevance really came through over the course of all three right. movies, for sure. Um, whereas Borat was like an overnight surprise success,
1: right? Shik-shon. It was uh, surprising that it only. Yakshma,
0: that...
1: <laughs> sorry, <laughs> <laughs> wrong <laughs> trope. Oh, Borat, uh, Sarah, may I say, same. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, that is so okay. So a little older than you, like. Um, I was 12 when this movie came out in 1997. God, I can't imagine. And uh, I had a friend who like legit could recite the entire movie on command. Yeah. Like line for line. Mm. He loved it. And I loved it with him. And we we're best buds having our Austin Powers times. You know, like that was, that was it for us. Yeah. Like my family
2: uh, quoted this movie. This was a big movie within our family. And as I was right. like revisiting it as an adult, I realized like, cause at, when I revisited it the first time around, I was astounded. I knew like, Oh, there were jokes that went over my head. No, bitch, every joke, every joke went over my head. But it's visually right. so exciting, and there's a lot of visual gags, and it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, Mike Myers is so good at pulling face. Like, literally, he would make me laugh pulling a face that I have seen the same face pulled countless times. Like, he's just so, like, it's... Right. it's he's a genius. I think Mike Myers is a genius.
0: Well, when you encompass... Oh, this is his best, I Also, think. his range in... um So I married an axe murderer and, uh, you know, the other Biggie, Wayne's World. Of course. Uh, I also want to talk about. Biggie. I also want to talk about this through the lens of. I mean, biggie of the things that spun out of SNL because it, it was an SNL right. vehicle, like with mm-hmm, under right. the auspices of Lorne Michaels. Doctor Evil is a loose imitation of Lorne Michaels, which, which I think is since delightful. I
2: learned that it is yeah made the character ten times funnier, way funnier. Yeah. Way funnier. I was way gonna, funny. say, in my
0: opinion, Doctor Evil is the breakout star of Austin. He's Power hilarious, not? Yeah. way more than Austin himself. Um mm-hmm. it's all the Dr. Evil and Scott Evil shit and the oh, family god, counseling thing. Oh god, so scene. funny. Which is that's what's interesting to me is there is this sort of grungy 90s authenticity that you were referencing earlier Sarah and it's it's very true to these SNL before so like for my money Mike Myers kind of had the best I like his SNL universe movies the best mm. even discounting all the ones that completely fall off like love guru and etc where i don't like them so anymore you
1: discount them yeah
0: they if you discount those i'm like he still had my favorite on average of the ones i like because snl movies are really hit and miss for me big time um, but they they do have Something that speaks to me as someone who came up in sketch because they're so sketch based like what's amazing to me about Austin Powers is one of the strengths of it is it has a better thought out structure than a lot of these films because he had this idea of what if you satirize Bond but you're also satirizing like a Beatles 60s road movie. Yes. Screwball. And quickly. It switches to time travel, so it becomes, which is safe SNL territory, a fish out of water in the modern 90s era, but he came from Beatles parody and he was a spy. It combines elements for many reasons very smartly, like it creates joke machines that are super fruitful. Like you can make oh. so much humor out of it. And, uh, oh my God, just, like, Oh, those capitalist pigs finally got what they deserve. Hey, right. eh, comrades. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We right. won. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. comrades. and, but yeah. yet my favorite scenes, like Dr. Evil at family therapy with Scott evil, that is just an SNL sketch. It does dip into the well of, It's not Mm. funny in a Beatles road movie way. It's not undermining a spy trope until he does the monologue about getting beaten with reeds. And my childhood was
1: typical. That is undermining. Luge lessons in the spring. We'd make meat helmets.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But the, just the concept of that scene, it just takes me back. It's only nostalgic because of my age, but it is nostalgic to me to see these movies where it's like an assemblage of sketches that yes. could be on SNL, and they don't all even yeah. vibe with like the theme or tone or whatever you said you were doing.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. It- I also want to point it. At- hmm. Well, I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of Airplane in that sense, that it feels like a series of sketches one after another, but it does a really nice job of remaining cohesive and still moving the plot forward, even when they, like, the bathroom scene where he drowns the Irish Lucky Charm assassin, and it's, like, the easiest joke you could possibly take, which is, like, a guy is shitting very severely. Like, that Mm -hmm. that is a sketch in and of itself that doesn't necessarily, like inform us anything new about the story, but it still manages to move the plot forward because now Austin knows mm. that, like, he's on people's watch list. Like, it's it's smart. It's like a smartly written film.
0: Yes, yeah, a, a sketch is just... The idea of most sketches, especially these classic SNL-style sketches, is your premise, and your premise is one game that's just right. going to escalate an extremity until it's... But they right. choose things where they're like... The premise of this sketch is also a simple plot beat. It's not complicated stuff, Mm-mm. but let's just say of all the movies we cover on Framerate, we try to be really celebratory. Like, we don't cover stuff we're going to bag on. That's why b movies an anomaly I bring up. And I want to be clear, this is not a movie we're bagging on. It shows a lot of skill and craft. Truly. I do want to talk about some of the stuff that I thought aged interestingly, but I don't think we're there yet. Abe, you had a yeah, chance. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I also think it's interesting from the, like, we're talking about games, uh, like comedy games when you're developing a film and discussing what the games that play are, what the scene work is and, uh, parody, that's kind of your bread and butter, right? It's interesting, I think, to me to note that James Bond parody had been done forever, uh, like in the 60s mm. they did it Like it was immediately mm. periodable. Uh Like Italians loved this italians in the 60s man they love to ape other cultures like tropes and genres they did the spaghetti westerns and stuff like that i think it's a spinoff of like italian neorealism or something like that jerry lewis definitely
0: took a spin in like james mm. bond but if he was a fucking yeah. idiot it's funny there's yeah. right
1: latigra <laughs> La films uh kiss kiss bang bang then you know sure. the old one the agent oh double seven films lucky the inscrutable there's like a bunch of british films spy with a cold nose like they were coming out in the 60s 70s 80s with this stuff but when you go to like wikipedia and look at james bond parodies there's the austin powers gets its own thing no mm. one else gets its own thing because of how culturally i guess relevant in the 90s it was and i think that was because it was a major blockbuster et cetera, et cetera. but it speaks to kind of like when you're when you're Mike Myers and you're writing the script and you're like can I do a parody of this kind of thing and i've uh, i've done a james bond parody sketch i've directed it before in fact my doctor evil was swame um, <laughs> oh yeah
0: that sketch
1: yeah yeah it's a good sketch but it like when you look at it there's so much ground you have to cover because man everyone's done it right and at that point, Austin Powers has also done it, but like, uh, but b- before Austin Powers, they were it was already like well trodden, but they made it they made it more mainstream. I but guess, that's what they what also saying.
0: refreshed it by com- it's Austin it's uh James Bond tropes times uh Beatles road movie tropes, like it combines that's, the swing sixties. That's what completely refreshed it in a way that it's almost the addition yes. of a non sequitur. It's like vanilla. It's
1: bringing, well, it's bringing in British red wine, humor.
0: ice cream. You're like, what? You threw a twist at me there in the end.
1: It's, it's more specific than that. It's bringing in like, it's like a British invasion, you know, it's yeah. like six pistols because like, for example, li- like, one of my favorite things, I don't know why, probably this movie, uh, one of my favorite things in movies is hiding, like, tits and genitals with objects in frame.
2: Oh, this and movie invented that. This
1: It didn't. It did we'll not. Well, perfected it then. <laughs> but it, it's so perfect. It's well done, and it made it mainstream. And that's the thing, I think, with it, is that it took something that is, like, so ubiquitously British and, like, oh, this is by design British culture joke. Let's take that like off the TV set of a nineteen seventies, like, oh, you know, like T like British television was so about uh exactly exactly the the sexuality of it. That Mitchell and weblick has a really good um sketch about it where it's just like uh it's a hospital where everyone is just constantly saying sexual innuendo to each other <laughs> to the point of like they can't get any work done. Um like it really is like they took that off the screen and they put it on the silver screen. And then we as a culture in America were like, "Oh, yeah. That's hilarious." But the reality is that I think Austin Powers took Like it's a good mix of doing its own original thing and at the same time taking all the things that it's referencing before and still trying to behold that, trying to bring that back. And that's interesting to me is that uh, we can probably get into that later, but uh, it's definitely pulling from other culture, pulling from all that stuff in order to kind of install its campiness that – I think is why we all like it or reacted to it. Well, also that's mentioning
0: bringing that bit back. I do think like for a while, it seemed very curious to me as a career decision that Mike Myers would go on to do that literal bit. And then, you know, in, in the second movie, he develops the mole bit and then repeats that in the third movie. And then it transcended. And that's where I think he lost people. Love guru, guru aside from being a wildly problematic and appropriative. <laughs> uh, he also did all the same bits again. And I used to be like, what a weird choice to redo, like transcending franchises, the same sketch premise in a new scene in this movie, until I realized that he grew up in SNL and that's what they do. So like, it's interesting to think of Mike Myers' entire filmography, not counting like Inglorious Bastards or weird shit like that, as the ones he wrote or directed, um, as his own little universe of sketches that he's shuffling in and out and he tries to like refine the order update them mix and match them and when he when we lost interest in the assortment of sketches he had on tap that's when we sort of fell out of love with mike myers movies but that means that it's good as long as it's good and there's like four or five really good ones
2: (laughs) yeah I actually yeah, was thinking sure. about, like, an Austin Powers 4, I swear to God. I was like, "I, I it, this was, like, a few years ago. I was like, this would be so smart. Like, I could even, like... Pitch this. Anyone can do this. It's right there. But don't you like,
0: agree? He'd need new sketch premises. He'd need well. Well, new here's here's the problem.
2: Shit. I was thinking like, well, they keep time traveling different decades. Maybe we have like oscar powers go to the '90s and then he's faced with like girl power and stuff. And I had been just so far removed from International Man of Mystery that I forgot that's the this is that's, that movie. This that's is the, movie. the first one. That's yeah. what I'm. I'm like, oh, it'd be so smart. Like, yeah, Which, they, they've already made that.
0: Is also the plot of Borat too. I haven't so seen it yet. <laughs> it's kind of uplifting and disheartening that a movie made so far later is also the messages. The message is Borat treats his daughter literally like livestock and by the end brings, uh, they they together bring like modern feminism back to Kazakhstan uh, and everything. So it's... Interesting that they both latched on that premise. Also, weird that we still haven't made any progress on that. So, maybe it is time to talk about, like, Sarah, are you ready?
2: You yeah, ready to talk yeah. about as, the shit? As a, that... as a woman, I am prepared to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> so, the thing that was most
0: interesting to me before I make any value judgments was. I wasn't expecting there to be anything to dig into, just like you. I was removed, had been removed long enough that I forgot that there, that the very little, it's a broad comedy, right? So there's very little meat. But the meat that is there is so resonant to our time right now because James Bond represents the toxic side of the patriarchy and that's what they're spoofing. So the comments are like, and we haven't like resolved this. So the comments are even more true now than they were. Like, right. I just want to set us up and then I would love to hear from Sarah. But the, uh, like, they do, it does literally address how he is, quote, like from an older time and he's legit a sex pest and he does shit that you can't do that's fucked up. Um, so, by at the end, the quotes are Dr. Evil says, Isn't it interesting how everything you stood for, free love, drug experimentation, is now considered evil? (laughs) Um, And he says, well, it was about freedom, man. If we knew the consequences of sexual liberation, we would have done things differently. But the groove would be the same. It's about freedom, yeah, from uptight squares like you, whose bag is money and world domination. Uh, Right now we have freedom and responsibility. It's a very groovy time. Uh, And then Dr. Evil says, there's nothing more pathetic than an aging hipster. Now, those lines I read are very unique only because they're the only lines in the movie that aren't setting up or paying off jokes. Mm -hmm. So this is the comedy taking one moment for Mike Myers, who wrote this screenplay on his own, to say one thing he means. And he chooses to talk about like the problems with society that, if anything, are more pressing now by far than they were when this movie came out. like this touches on the meme two movement and corporatization of America. It's just very, very interesting to me. So, Sarah, how'd this stuff all hit? you?,
2: uh, yeah, you know, um i I to expand on something I think you were talking about, like, like I said, when I revisited it, I remember, like, God, as a kid, I love these movies, but Now that I'm an adult woman, let's see how I feel. But actually, something I didn't really appreciate when I was a kid that I now appreciate now because I have like a developed frontal cortex that this is a parody. So, actually, like the offensive things he's saying, it's, I think it's almost like a fight club situation where like you can look at this like, yeah, Austin Powers is the fucking man. Or you can be like, no, Austin Powers is a dog. He's being rightfully called out. And the joke is that he is. Out of touch, he is kind of gross. Like this is what's funny, and what's funny is watching these women fall head over heels because that's parodying. You know, the some of the guys who've played Bond, Bond. are not like exceedingly high, but <laughs> it, it, it's a male fantasy. I think it's almost a parody You're talking of about Roger Moore. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a parody of a male fantasy. I think in that context, though, watching this time something that I've been thinking about because we're in. Uh, another pandemic uh in 1997 they're talking about AIDS like I think that and and, um the war on drugs yeah and and a couple of times like they talk about condoms a lot which I know you Mm -hmm. know I was too young really too young to have any kind of understanding of that but certainly as an adult I am sympathetic to the crisis of the 90s and the sexual education that became just so much more mainstream especially when this movie was coming out I actually thought that was kind of like I don't want to say it was like a responsible nod but I did find that standing out to me kind of the undercurrent and not just of like HIV AIDS but of all STIs because I think like this was around the time that the we were actually starting to put up PSAs and like the big The sexual movement of the time was like, wear a condom, wear a condom, wear a condom. This is how Mm. we can stop the spread of this awful disease that we are trying to understand. But if we know one thing, it's wear a mask. Uh, Sorry, uh, wear a condom, wear a condom. Um, So that was kind of my takeaway, which, you know, I thought that was a it was it was a pointed moment for me in a way that it has not been a pointed moment for me prior because of ignorance or because I was so afraid this movie was secretly. Deeply sexist And I mean it's not you know A feminist motion picture But certainly wasn't as cringy As I feared it could have been
1: I think it's an interesting point In general when speaking Like generally of comedy um, Especially of this era Because we also had like two years previous We had Clueless That the culture that they're aping Or that they're parroting Being the DNA They're taking it very seriously The tropes of James Bond which were very prevalent at the time because we just had a huge James Bond movie literally like two years before mm-hmm. which uh, go with Goldeneye like which revitalized the James Bond you know deal Industry of it that became era. a huge yeah. thing and so it made a lot of sense for Mike Myers to go okay James Bond is big what's a w- that would be funny if I was James Bond um, but it takes for serious a lot of um, tropes, obviously, uh, and these widely popular comedies uh, that have this kind of satirical arc and what they're lampooning. It's, it's, we kind of need tools as comedians and as viewers to discern between those things and the appropriation of other cultures' dissections of these tropes and the champion of them. To provide for, like, more established, in this case, like, white and male careers and success. Basically, my question, I guess, or something that I find fascinating to look into, is that are films like this worth making? If you... Like, understandably, in the 90s, it was a different time, but if you follow the assumptions of what I'm asking, it kind of boils down to this one question, which is, is one small step approach to satirical comedy something that should exist anymore? Right. Which is a huge question, I think
0: it's – I think that's a question that – you packed your phrasing of was so densely with information that might be confusing. So can I parrot it back in a simpler way? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Tell me if you think this is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, Because, and I want to point out by way of that, that like an interesting note about this film. That's also true of Borat too, although that doesn't really matter. I just find that interesting. The continued connections is that, he does something James Bond never does, which is he changes over the arc of the film. He is, Mm -hmm. as Sarah said, he is sexist and not sexist in the way of like Harvey Weinstein will dominate you based on the privilege of his position. He's sexist in the classic 60s free love way, where which kind of takes some of this thing out because it's like, he has quote unquote good intentions and came from a time where it was normalized, but it's nevertheless unacceptable behavior these days and comes off as being a sex. It's that best. Judd
1: Apatow shit, man. It's that yeah. Judd, it's like knocked up. It's like well, oh, but he takes he makes fun of himself though, so uh, he's all right. You no, know, it's but that I'm, bullshit. I don't
0: think it is that. I think it goes way further than Judd Apatow because. He gets checked on that, and then he changes his behavior. He goes from being a swinger to a one woman yeah. man, baby. I and agree I think that this that's is better than that's <laughs> the missing thing that is missing from all Judd Apatow's, incidentally, but also from this making most satires like this work is that he li- he like he lives out the arc that you should live out, which is he gets checked by someone, reflects. Realizes he made a mistake. He shouldn't have slept with a lot of China just because she's the town bike baby and uh, <laughs> vows to change. And then we see that his behavior actually has substantively changed. So that to me is good. But at the same time, I want to echo what Abe's saying in so far as it comes off as like a like a cartoon placemat at a Denny's. That happens to have some real true wisdom written on it, let's say, in the doodle, right?
1: Soundbite wisdom, yeah. It's
0: good and true, but is it likely that you're going to absorb that? Humor makes a great coding for giving messages in a way that doesn't offend you, but that same coding also makes it hardly matter. Mm -hmm. I've seen this movie so many times, and I've always valued it for its ability to make me laugh. It took knowing that i was gonna be talking on a podcast and you have to talk about something interesting that other people haven't thought of before so you're watching it very seriously for me to realize oh it is a satire that is trying to speak to uh how the male gaze is everywhere and it you have to check it and the male patriarchy needs some dismantling and needs to change um but it does so in a way that I didn't notice the twenty other times I watched it. Like it took a close reading right. watch to even notice. Yeah. So I struggle yeah. to believe that like Austin Powers made me a better feminist in any way because <laughs> I don't think I absorbed it. So I think Abe's right about that. That yeah. like satire is almost pointless.
2: Yeah, I've got a couple of <laughs> responses based on sure. what you two have been talking about. Um so I think in terms of like what Abe has proposed about like is parody is this worth parodying anymore, I think truly This is like my two cents in comedy in general is that like you really can make fun of or satire anything so long as you know exactly what you're satirizing and you are coming from it from a perspective that we haven't heard before. So I think like when we're talking like if to broaden the conversation, we talk about like cancel culture, like like the idea like, well, you can't make these kinds of jokes anymore because they've always been offensive, not because they're offensive now. No, those jokes have always been offensive and they're tired, like making fun of people for their gender, their race, any part of their identity. It's tired. You can I think you can still make those jokes, but I think it's a question of perspective. And at this point, we've heard the white male perspective, the specifically the white cishet male perspective mm-hmm. in the comedy world for decades now. So when we see these jokes being made, I think for, I, I'm struggling to think of any example now, but like... um. Plenty of comics who are not white guys are able to uh, write parodies and satire of topics that we've discussed prior. But again, I think it's about the perspective, like what angle are you coming from? And Mike Myers' angle, although hilarious, maybe not so fresh anymore because, well, we know like the funny white guy version of, you know, this right. these, it- these sorts of jokes if By no could, fault like, of his own, 24- exactly.
0: he exists. Is he's not, a category of human nothing. that's kind of played out. <laughs> like, it, yeah, yeah, I mean, we've just—it's not Vanessa's story. It's clearly Austin's story, mm-hmm. and we've had a lot of that. But it's good that is that he's well intentioned. That his white male perspective yes. encompassed the idea. Austin should get checked and then learn a little lesson. That's and good. So, that's yeah, fine. and so
2: on that, my <laughs> second my second point on that is actually what I thought was. Remarkable like and maybe this is because the bar is in hell like the bar is so low but I actually found it refreshing and I think a big to me this is the moment that saves the movie for me from being too like I don't know how I feel about this anymore. When Vanessa and Austin have the night out in Vegas, you know, sh- he has advanced on her. She has said no. He's always respected that no. And the times where he goes beyond the no, because there are some occasions where she says no, but he keeps on with like his, oh, you know, you think I'm shagadelic, right? Whatever. Like, he doesn't ever physically... Home break the bubble between right, the two of them but the underpinning them. is still Well, rape the, I'm getting I'm getting there. I'm getting it. This yeah. is this is the before. The moment to me that reframes the movie is when Vanessa comes onto him and she's drunk and he fully says no. You're drunk. It's not right and pushes him off. I think that for a comedy that is more than honestly like 7 years old I was like, wow, I don't know many contemporary comedies that tackle this would that would say so explicitly and we would see so explicitly like actually even though Austin Powers is a Randy horny dude who doesn't understand maybe modern and that's the other thing too, like. He did come straight out of a time machine. He's probably also like fucked up mentally. <laughs> like there, there's some forgiveness to him as well because, like, chemically, he's been through a lot. Um, I mm. thought that was the moment to me. That was in the moment but he when I could
0: consent. I could yeah. exhale.
2: Is what I'm trying to say. Like that's when I was like, mm, oh, actually, right, you know what? Right. I can trust this man. I can laugh at this man. I can laugh with this man because even though uh, you know, I don't know, I would not have the same patience that Elizabeth Hurley has in the movie. Mm-hmm. At least here. Okay, I can see that truly his intentions are well meant.
0: Right, true, and but mm. although there's still blind spots. Like, obviously, I think a lot of people take issue with Fat Bastard. A lot of people take oh, issue Fat with Bastard he's a nightmare. Fat Bastard is bad. Minimi,
2: yeah. Minimi is a nightmare. nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, but those um, are later movies, especially. So in, we're not yeah. trying
0: to like gloss over everything, but <clears throat> but I'm, I agree that mm. there were moments where I was like. That's actually pretty cool. I think
1: I think you're right, Sarah. I think there's a lot of balance in what you're talking about. I think it's not about trying to drag the movie as much as like, for example, uh there's a there's a there's a paper that was that I read for in preparation for this thing called Austin Powers and the Drag Kings. And it made a very good point, which is the influences of comedy predating Austin powers and specifically like lesbian and drag King cultures uh, and how it influenced how like hetero male comic films would mm. uh, try to uh, one thing that we notice and it started right here. Like, honestly, this is a seminal movie for this. Like uh, it, it started where like the comedy would take the wind out of the sails of the hetero male and the hetero maleness of the header of the, the male lead. Like it, th- all of the jokes are kind of at like, he's the butt of the joke, right? Yeah. And this,
0: it directly like, influenced like, Judd he Apatow. He's doing dick. that same trick. A, yeah. So
1: parodying masculinity is like, once again bread and butter of this thing just as much as like it comes out of the James Bondness because James Bond is the perfect male version of what we thought males were mm-hmm. in the
0: 1960s so that's what smart alex are going right. to tend to be making fun of yeah and
1: so so like my original question is like i feel like you guys have really answered it and i'm glad we're having this conversation a sub Angle of this that uh, I want to address because you're right, I did densely kind of address it, which is that there's a performative element uh, like of hetero male comedies to this day, to today. You look outside and you see a uh, male comedy film and you wave to it and it goes like, I'm still loudly this, uh, which is that like this film, uh, there, there have been papers that have been drawn that draw the line to these jokes, these kinds of jokes this parody of masculinity literally came from butch women and uh you know like queer nightclub scenes and queer humor and it's just like now been observed appreciated and then reproduced Co-op in and a hetero male you know. wow, fashion wow interesting
2: that makes so, so much sense
1: And in 1997, this was the time for it. In 1997, The Full Monty also came out, which is kind of Mm. the same thing. Something I guess we could call like king comedies, where it's like you're it's all about your king but let's like take the wind out of the sails of the king kind of you know instead of more typical like it's a nuance on the camping. and
0: the ideal man the ideal male it's still about a male because it's it's still still society but the ideal male is a sensitive guy not a cowboy which is what preceded this right
1: (laughs) and so like I don't know. There's a conversation to me to be had still that is the appropriation of the other culture's dissection of these tropes, of these unique vulnerabilities, in this case of the male body and psyche. um, I didn't
0: think Austin Powers would lead us here, but whiteness is a construct that Mm. also robs the people designated white of their actual ethnic background, which is why they grope around and co-opt everything interesting culturally from any group that does have a community-based identity. Yeah. What movie (laughs) are we
2: talking about? Look, I I was going to bring up the fact that this movie was produced by Demi Moore. I don't know if you guys have any notes on that. She knows um...
1: what's up. Me knows what's up, dude.
2: (laughs) Right,
0: that's true.
2: G.I. Jane, man. (laughs) You know what's interesting? As we've been having this conversation, uh, we've brought up Apatow before. Another movie that I truly, truly, truly love is Anchorman. And I'm actually realizing, like, these are the same movies. The big difference, though, is that at the end of the movie, like, um, Ron Burgundy doesn't really become a better man. I think he just becomes a little bit more humble. But it's not like he's... Like, there's never a moment in the movie where I'm like, oh, he's not actually, like, a sexist. He's just kind of fucking stupid. No, he is just, like, outright a <laughs> sexist. But in mm. this film, there is a little bit more of, like, a sincerity. There is... totally. There is a, a romance that they're playing, which is a little weird because he like shags her mom. It's a compulsory and, 90s comedy it is, thing. it is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, so it's wait, a compulsory it's just, heterosexual relationship. Yeah. Is the message of
0: the movie, if you don't, because that's the one genuine moment is when you feel that he was in love with Mrs. Kensington and he never got to be with her. So the lesson is, if you don't get the person of your dreams, go for their (laughs) kid. Just wait around. Their kid is
1: very much like them. (laughs) No, no, hold on. Let me clean this up. Romantic comedies and espionage films have slightly different approaches narrative-wise with their male and female leads in terms of like their romance arcs right in espionage it's very easy it's just like ah look at me i'm james bond i get a huge dick and all the women That's are fun. like oh my god yeah. and then uh but like in romantic comedies it's like the hard to get thing is like constant and ubiquitous right so as the saturization is clear in austin powers they're doing both And it kind of does lead to a weird kind of amalgam of the two. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. So that's,
1: I I don't know. I just wanted to point that out is that's why it kind of feels like, Oh, it's, Two things. What is it saying? Like, what is this deal? Like, what's going on here? They feel Uh, very
0: segregated from one another. They're like joke machine, joke machine, joke machine. Music changes. Now we're in a little bubble of genuineness. It'll pass soon. Joke machine. Yeah, I think I think
2: we've graduated modern movies. I think we've kind of graduated from that, but definitely growing up in the nineties and early two thousands. Jesus Christ, I always hated when a movie would be like, oh, and by the way, the two characters are in love. Like, oh, God, I'm like nine years old trying to enjoy this movie. It's not just fucking- jokes. Yeah, get back to jokes. Dude, exactly. You say that
1: shit like nine-year-old, you. that's me still. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm honestly, still though, sometimes. honestly, though. Oh, yeah. and sometimes can we call I'm out? Like, oh, fuck, they did a scene. Oh, you did a scene, so they deserve to be together. I'm and, such and a grump. I'm such yeah, a fucking and it's grump. Just but like- at the same time, legitimately so. No, Before I will... we move
0: on from the Anchorman yes. connection, I just want to call out that Will Ferrell as Mustafa would not fly today also. <laughs> no, oh,
1: very no, bad. No, no, very no,
0: no. Very bad. Hilarious no. bit. Hilarious bit. bit. in terms Such a of good the bit. task he was given. Yeah, He, he knew the assignment.
2: Bit. He did it well, but it's not an acceptable assignment. I would never no, assign not it a to anyone. Yeah. is it necessary yeah. for the bit? no. No, There's he no, just wanted he his buddy be Will to do it. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> just
1: Will Ferrell being a dude.
2: Uh, the second movie, though, when he's at the bottom of the hill, he's like, Oh, I am really hurt You here. shot me. Up. Oh, that is some of the funniest shit ever. Oh, man.
1: Dude, I... I like speaking back to the beginning of this podcast when you're like, it's instrumental. Like I didn't realize how much I like something that, uh, when Swam and I like first were developing our comedy, I guess, uh, something that we both immediately, uh, when we like, we're developing it, we're like, this is how it's done. This is how the scene works. uh, we both think that people saying stuff off screen and not understanding thing fucking hilarious. It's just perfect. Well, and uh, that's this bit.
2: Yeah. A comedy rule in my household. Cause like, I come from a very funny household and we will say out loud, you know, like a comedy rule I learned very young is sometimes it's not what you say. It's how you say it. If you can put a funny inflection on a word, people love that. Uh, Another famous comedy rule in our household is if you say it enough times, you will break the person down to get a laugh out of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, a game. This is kind of moving on to a fun little point I want to make uniquely as as a girl um, I kind of played a game in this movie where I thought to myself like okay I'm actually going to track the times where Austin Powers comes off as endearing or cute enough that I could maybe justify why woman why women want to sleep with him and actually his fucking stupid like yeah do i make you horny, baby do i make you randy like <laughs> that got a laugh out of me late in the movie just because it was like oh my fucking god this again and that actually like not that i was like oh my god aspires is actually cute no but it was it was endearing <laughs> but, it was for some reason it was but- endearing
1: I got to ask, is that is that Austin Powers or is that uh, Michael Myers. Myers writing a bit? And It's, like, m- it's Mike Myers. It's I mean, it's Mike Myers, bit, right? period,
2: because it's also Mike Myers giving truly great performance in not only him, but Which also is, in Dr. Evil, yeah. like to create character. And even like Fat Bastard. Oh, God, please. None of him. Uh, Yet yeah. even... Even in his own universe, he is making very, very distinctly different characters. And I do have to give him kudos for that because actors playing multiple characters in the same movie, right? We see that all the time. I Mm. think Mike Myers does it. He's in the top layer of people who can truly do that because I find that his characters are just so vastly different. When I was a kid, I could not fathom that Dr. Evil was also Mike Myers. I could oh, not yeah, fathom it. I, yeah, that's awesome. He's up there with Peter Sellers for sure. I think. And even That'll even be, watching like, it now, I had moments yeah. where I was like, damn, that is also Mike Myers. This is this is great. By the way, mm-hmm. wardrobe, production design, all of the technical design elements of these films. Very delicious. Delicious. I yeah. love looking at these movies.
1: Surprising because I had not watched this film since I had like gone and studied to be a filmmaker. There, There is an alarming amount, like there's a whole episode, which I won't, you know, sh- you know, harangue us into, uh, about like the craftsman quality of this movie. It's actually kind of impressive for what it is. Yeah, but
0: or I'm sure you noticed a lot more than me, but uh, one thing I wanted to bring up was the little choices, the attention to the detail as far as making the 60s feel like those like it was shot in the 60s yes. like the background mm-hmm. of the car shot being intentionally sh- yes. shot on film and badly keyframed like not really it's matching not keyframe that's car. that's it's not even keyframe they're a using old
1: school tactics they are literally having projection on the wall yeah yes.
0: i love that they're like so in the 60s his universe is a film from the 60s it's not mm-hmm. really the 60s and then when we come to the 90s all the filmmaking immediately switches to a transparent 90s style <laughs> to such a degree that it's clear that Mike Myers understands the two different visual styles which is more yeah. than most SNL alums have a need to understand. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're right there's more filmmaking to it too. Yeah, yeah yeah. It's it's fun. Before I wanted to like do the thing that 99% of podcasts would do because we're a little different. I don't know if you guys notice. <laughs> We're kind of cool
1: here. This is a
0: cool kids table. But we got to call out the jokes and bits and scenes that make us laugh the most, yeah, right? Sure. The actual Fuckin joke hell. machine shit before Fuckin the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. What are people's favorite moments? Like all time favorite? Ooh, moments I got to I actually
2: genuinely have to think because so so like I said this my I rewatched this last night. Last night, honestly, was kind of like a fun general strokes because I already did like a deep dive rewatch of. A while back, like I said, who knows when a while back means? But it, mm. <laughs> sometime in the past. But yeah, I found myself actually laughing a lot. Maybe I'm just stressed out by mm, I don't know anything.
1: Really, uh, these days. I will start with this. The. The first line of the movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think it hadn't taken hold yet that I was like, Abe, you're watching Austin Powers. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Because it, it's also a very quoted line. And it's like now it, like been like, I don't know, it's been it's not really been parodied, but it's just like, I guess it's one of those things like Sarah kind of was talking about where it's just like it's so in me that it's like I don't even see it as anymore you forget a joke anymore. that it's not
2: something you, you forget- came up with exactly right
1: and it's just like Part of my DNA now And it's just When you back it up And you say What's at the base of this joke That's fucking hilarious Which is uh, That makes me angry And when Dr. Evil gets angry Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset (laughs) And when Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset People People die die! (laughs) And it's just like That is so funny to me I don't know why Just the idea that He's upset I know it's not that funny of a joke, but it's just a great way to start your movie. Is that this cat is angry, so now you're all gonna die? That's a weird thing to start a movie with. That's funny. I don't everything, know.
2: Uh, everything about Doctor Evil acclimating to the '90s, where he's like, "We'll ask them for one million dollars," and they have to say, "Like, um, right, actually, inflation is. is such that that's not a lot of money <laughs> anymore." Right, yeah. And like, that's like, well, like a oh, Prince Charles. Did have a divorce and admitted to a fair like just like all the things that they had to catch him up on but I do remember last night I said out loud to myself this is the best scene in the movie Um, and actually Bridget and I quote this every time we're in Vegas. The scene where he is playing, first of all, Blackjack with number two. Yeah. Not oh, even poker, a Blackjack. A game where famously you are playing the house, not playing each other. Like <laughs> It's, it's, other it's such like an elementary... They could both
0: win. It wouldn't yeah.
2: matter. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so this number two... This is my two, favorite bit in the movie. And yeah, number so two good. gets 17. He could cheat. He sees he's going to get Blackjack. <laughs> so he hits because I like to live dangerously. And Mike Myers gets a five. Uh... And he's <laughs> I I too like to live (laughs) Dangerously (laughs) also (laughs) Uh,
1: I have to (sighs) give credit Some of my favorite bits in this Watching it rewatching it is actually Not the lines as much because Like you know do you make me horny All of the like uh, mainstay Bits like the bits we remember The movie for are You know it's so you know prevalent And you know remembered I guess But um Man, the faces and the reactions that yes. uh, Mike Myers does is so like talk about a proof of concept that like react that comedy is in the reaction shot. Uh, mm. It's so much like when <laughs> what he says uh, when it's all the different objects that are coming out of he's just been uh Unfrozen and oh, he's so he's, good, and, and it's it, it's the pe- obviously the Swedish penis pump is the main bit of that thing, right? But uh,
0: like arguably of the film,
1: but the funniest <laughs> one to me is when uh, he sh- The guy holds up the male, the necklace of the male symbol. He doesn't say anything, and he's like built up a thing of yeah, yeah, all right. He just like Mm -hmm. nods curtly. Oh, that is baby, you know, and stuff like that. But then when the male symbol comes up, he just like. He gets super serious. He becomes yes. man. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And he just like looks at Vanessa, it's and like, she like He's yeah, like, "What do you do?" Like she's. It's just all in the eyes, and he's just like, "Yeah, baby," <laughs> but with his I'm eyes, male. and it's just so funny to me that he decided that that would work. I don't know. I find all the time that the, like, the assumptions. Which is a whole like comedic thing. Like I actually had a huge argument with one of my professors, literal professor of comedy at USC, who just disagreed with me, and I just disagree with him still to this day. Uh, like to me, the funniest shit is like in the mo- like what is that person who's saying and doing those things thinking? That's the funniest thing. Like make yes. a joke when- about that. As opposed to just they're doing a funny voice or something like that. There's comedy everywhere. But he was so thoroughly in the camp of no comedy is only in like your performance and like saying funny things. Yeah. It's like,
2: nah. From an acting perspective, what we're talking about is inner monologue. And like that is what we talk about when we could see it in the character's eyes. We could see it in the actor's eyes. We know what they're thinking. And Mm -hmm. his and Mike Myers his bit commitment level, God bless. And in that moment in particular, it's like we can almost hear what he is thinking just based on how he is reacting. And and that just shows like such a deep understanding of this character that he's crafted for himself. That is a fully Mm. realized three dimensional human being, which is why it's easy to watch this movie because he's sincerely like, it's all very, it's coming from a sincere place It's just he's a clown like he is designing this character that we can laugh at. And then as the film goes on, we start to laugh with.
1: Exactly. What is the comedic intention? What is the impetus? What's the thrust behind the joke? That is that should always be the 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 tippy top of your worry when you're making a comedy, in my opinion.
0: All right. uh, I waited long enough. I'm ranking my favorite lines and moments. You Ready? (laughs) Go for it. Well, you you guys boggled me in the, in terms of taking some of the best moments, which is good because I f- <laughs> I get the feeling I'm the only one who took notes in this fashion. But I want to give people that nostalgia rush if they don't have time to watch the movie. Yeah,
2: let's let's quote it.
0: Well, in many ways, the big boy never left, sir. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's, From Clyde Howard, knew this is the
1: joke you would want, go for. <laughs> I, I love block. that joke. <laughs> Such a slam <laughs> joke.
0: Well, in many ways, it's been offering great meals at the same reasonable prices all along. Uh, warm liquid goo phase beginning. I really enjoy. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> no, this is again. It has a, It's a bookend, though. It has a second line.
0: Well, it's warm liquid goo phase complete. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like the idea that Frau Farbisna is the founder of the militant wing of the Salvation Army. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh obviously the odd job guy parody guy's name being random task is crazy. (laughs) um this is a physical like you guys are talking about you couldn't really script this dr evil trying to give the cat to random task but the claws are stuck in his outfit so it moves his chair (laughs) um we said the blackjack bit oh but in that same scene he has the line allow myself to introduce Myself, Myself. Uh, My that... name is Richie Cunningham This is my wife, Oprah <laughs> uh, No, this is me in a nutshell Here I am in this giant bloody nutshell How do I get out of this nutshell? That was another
2: <laughs> mo- That was another moment where I was like Actually, I think Austin Powers would be cute If he was a real person and he did that I would kind of that think is that's cute. cute That's cute Yeah
0: I understand that cat's into big underground drills. How did you know? I didn't, baby. You just, you just told, told me.
2: me. You just
1: told me, yeah.
0: Which means he guessed no underground it. drills. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like when he's in the spa with a lot of She says, how are you feeling? And he goes, extremely relaxed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Long <laughs> fart. Man, that... Fart oh, jokes that killed get me, me as a now, kid. That, that killed still me as a kid. Me. And then, how dare you break wind before me? I didn't I know, know it was your, your turn. turn. <laughs> yep. How um, dare
1: you? How dare you break wind in front of me? <laughs> I love that there's
0: uh, the super big person and the super little person in the lab suits going into the men and women's room, and then they beat them up and take their lab suits and they fit perfectly.
2: Ugh.
0: Um, yeah. Crushing Michael McDonald from Mad TV with the, with the steamroller over a really Oh, long period I think of about time. that
2: scene all the time. Genuinely, I think about that in my day-to-day, and I will laugh to myself thinking about that.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, th- one that gets me on the premise level is just... Uh, Scott Evil explaining that he has a gun in his room yes, see, <laughs> and yes, it would be fun yes, for them to do it yes. together <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> it
2: would be yeah. no, I think by the so way fun. just this quick sidebar here Seth Green is so amazing in this movie and they did such a great job of parroting like the average American teen and like the yeah. angst of He's being an American kid yeah way. and it's it's like not just the grunge but also like the gun <laughs> conversation that we are like barely breaking into of like is it easy for American teens to have guns and yeah that, that that actually really tickled me this time around that he's like i have a gun in my room right now we can just pop him
1: bang
0: dead done done
1: <laughs> i also love <laughs> that from the he, from the get go he is like that like he from square one when he realizes that his like dad is back he's like i hate you dad it's just like <laughs> yes so and every time he walks in just every angry. time he
2: walks into that room it's like he just walked out of his bedroom and we can hear the bedroom door open and close and it's always a nirvana song that's playing like right. i think he literally exactly. walks out to smells like teen spirit like that grunge yeah. music cue he has specifically mm. is so funny yeah, But
0: Dad, we, we had a breakthrough oh. in group. I had the group liquidated, you little <laughs> shit. They were insolent.
1: Man, I used to have this soundtrack and I played the shit out of it. George
2: like, Clinton, by the way, did you catch that music credit at the beginning of the film, mm-hmm, was the mm-hmm. music supervisor in the movie?
0: Nice. I, yeah. I just caught
2: his name in the opening. I was like, yeah, fuck, I think that's, was- that's a really cool soup that's a cool get this is a
0: very 90s thing that i actually think weakens it but like well abe you mentioned the first shot you know the last shot is a badly made cat dummy with ice (laughs) crystals like the last (laughs) shot of the movie is also mr bigglesworth but something i hate about 90s movies is these obligatory reels that run with the credits because it weakens the finality of your film so like our last impression of this movie speaking of the soundtrack is a Ming-T song about BBC One, BBC it's, Two, it's yeah, like, BBC oh, Three.
2: You. Which it also made sucks. me laugh. <laughs> really? <laughs> it, I thought it, it's... I think it made me laugh legal. this time. It, just, it made me laugh this time. I don't know like, I don't what a happened to me. Why is this our last
0: impression of our hero is it's this weird tra- song?
1: Because it's like trying to be a good song. And it is kind of a good song, but it's all like, uh, why is this... Why? Why? It, it made me laugh. Did George Clinton write that song? That would be interesting. I, I don't know. It,
2: it, I think it got me this time just because it's like... So British, and I think like making fun of the Brits is definitely like an a, an ingredient to this movie. And mm. I again, maybe it just like wore me down from repetition, but I just started to crack up because literally the lyrics oh. are just listing BBC channels yeah. <laughs> yes. and make
0: me tea, and I'll be on the telly exactly and shit. exactly. Um, I also BBC forgot to hasn't. mention, which is good because I saved it for the end. My favorite moment in this movie, it still makes me laugh just as hard today as it did as a kid, is his is Mike Myers' level of commitment. And in his performance, when his little cart is stuck between two walls and he's yes. trying to make it do a U-turn, that is the ultimate bit to me in Austin Powers.
2: It is so, yeah, that, that is one that uh, every mm. time I find myself in a position where I have to make like a 25-point turnaround turn mm. like that, I always think of that fucking scene.
1: Uh, they, oh, man. This is a part of the other uh, podcast that I'm apparently going to do on Austin Powers. You can tell where they took out the set. You could do a
0: director piece theater on it. You can
1: actually see the lines where they did the set. And it's actually very smart how they hit it. Uh, They pulled out the set in order to get the car to, you know... be that be way perfectly right. that yeah. size Yeah, and it's just like and <clears throat> they did a few things that i'm like i bet you didn't think that people thought about this like the fact that they obviously had to do like caulking uh to like s- seam the concrete together of mm-hmm. the flats uh and it's just like well that would be weird to have just two seamed like clearly caulking has been used on this Two sections, the you know, on either side of the flat. No, well, they the and then for the fifty yards down, they did more lines to make it. Well, seem you like can see just an aspect of the wall, you know, stuff like that.
0: I mean, it's still a, it's still a low budget production for mm-hmm. like in the some of the shots where they're covering their genitals, you can see his dick sock and you can see red tape over Liz Hurley's nipples, like. Yeah. It's not a flawless film in terms of goofs, technical goofs. That's also,
1: you probably watched like the Blu-ray rip, you know? I
0: watched it on Hulu where actually, interestingly, they edited out a lot of ass, which I understand that was weird, is they edited out the pause so that it kills the joke. He says, I never forget a pussy, cat. At that speed, they edited out the pause. Come on, guys. What was the
1: video component? Do you remember? Uh, That must have been
0: They zoomed the frame to crop her butt out When she walks into the hot tub That's all Mm,
1: Yeah okay I don't remember that Hulu will fuck with your movies That's crazy Because I was As a 12 year old I was like This is like Sexually Like a a big deal for me I was both Both very confused And very horned up For Elizabeth Hurley And a lot of China
2: Because I was so, so, so young, I actually do recall like multiple moments in all of these movies that when I was a little girl deeply made me uncomfortable and I didn't really know what was making me uncomfortable. And honestly, like a lot of that whole scene where she's like undressed and getting in the hot tub. I think I was like, yeah, probably like seven or eight when I first saw that. Very buoyant breasts, that woman. They they flow Uh, right on the surface. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, That was definitely something I noticed now as an adult, as a kid, I was just like, I don't want to actually, like, it's a funny bit and all, but I don't want to see the consequences of him actually being sexy to these women. Like this, Mm. this was Mm. maybe one too far. I think
0: I've said this on a podcast before, but in case I haven't, uh, One of the first movies I saw that had sexual content was a James Bond movie. It might have been GoldenEye. I forget which one, but it's one with the following in the plot, because this is what I remember. It starts with his wife getting murdered, and by the end, he is banged several more women (laughs) and it made me so deeply aroused because I was on the cusp of of puberty but also I felt evil I was like why am I aroused about a man betraying like he should still be in mourning for his wife and I ended up writing a letter like a letter from an 11 year old or whatever to the studio that's like dear Universal Studios James Bond is a very bad influence (laughs) and not the example you he was in love with that woman she died there should Mm -hmm be a proper um, morning so period
1: <laughs> that's so sweet but if
0: you're yeah. a yeah, white knight michael the
1: george Lazenby. that's the honor majesty secret service is the film you're talking about that's the
0: one yeah my dad showed it to us and i was like but but i thought he was in love with his that vows lady who died yeah his mm-hmm. vows that really fucked me up and then diana rig harvey kytel's penis in the piano which people
1: are <clears throat> which everyone me. recognizes as uh game of thrones she was in game of thrones mm. Mm. Older, older, oh yes, uh, Oleana Oleana Tyrell. T- Tyrell, Tyrell, yeah, yes, Whew. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, oh boy, she, that came yeah, from a deep a place. That's right, right. right, but yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when she was younger, she looked like
2: a Marjorie. Oh, what's Natalie Dormer? They actually do favor each other. Hmm. Mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. this has been they British women they corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Elizabeth Hurley in this movie is stunning. James Bond's wife. Austin Powers Uh, (laughs) also
0: features uh, two uh, smaller actors in minor roles who appeared on Seinfeld in major roles. The Soup Nazi and Babu, the guy who waggles his finger and says very bad, very bad man.
2: (laughs) Mm. I will say I love this movie so much and every time I'm Watching this movie, I forget that Carrie Fisher actually has the cameo as being the counselor in the scene where Dr. Evil and like all the dads and sons go. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this movie is so good that I I forget that Carrie Fisher is in it. I think that speaks volumes to, the, F- <laughs> right, to how much fun this right. movie is that like... Someone special I love is in this movie, and I—it's always a surprise. It's to me.
0: almost like a long episode of SNL, and she feels like the special guest host that episode.
2: Right. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, that's like cause... the first sketch after Weekend Update, where like half the people mm. have already tuned off, but I'm still watching. Right, and, it's like, oh, and you escalate
0: the Doctor Evil thing in an unexpected, weird direction. That's always what you do in mm-hmm. the back half of the show. It really <sighs> is an SNL movie. It really—that's interesting.
1: <laughs> it really is, and it. It's like throwaway in the way like a good way. It's like uh I feel like you could have it on. Uh, I think one of the best testaments to this movie, uh, for you know, like
0: Oh, I could shipping. toss it on at any time in the background, yeah.
1: I oh, yeah. watched this movie uh a few days ago. The next day I put on Spy Shag Me and Goldmember. Like, that's I what I'm watching, gonna do tonight for sure. I finished the trilogy. Nice. I'm definitely gonna watch Spy you know? Shag Me today. Yeah, and uh like it the first one is like lightning in a bottle, like every first, you know? Right. Yeah. But uh the other two are not bad I and mean, like I
2: yeah. I think real, actually it's a pretty strong trilogy. trilogy.
1: Yeah. Like they didn't like it didn't get away from them, I guess, which is a case with a lot of trilogies. I also you know? haven't
0: watched the third one since in so long that I have become a fan of Scott Ackerman and Comedy Bang Bang and all that stuff uh-huh. since then.
1: And I isn't he in it in the third I one? I th- think so. I did not notice, but I also don't know Scott Ackerman that well. Oh, he's a weird looking Un- dude. Unnamed. You'd notice yeah. Yeah, him. Yeah, actually. I uh, know I know him to think of.
2: I actually found Goldmember better than The Spy Who Shagged Me, which is crazy, because when I was a kid, The Spy Who Shagged Me was actually the movie that I watched the hell out of. I think we had that one on VHS. Um, But yeah, I think the true... Like, I don't think any of these movies are higher than, like, three and a half star. Like, you know what I mean? They're not, like, fabulous, incredible pieces of film (laughs) that I'm going to put on a pedestal. But... I think it's a strong enough trilogy that, like I said, when I rewatched all three of them, I was like, I'm still finding these enjoyable. I'm still watching them. I'm still laughing. I'm definitely cringing and definitely there are aspects about mm-hmm. it that I wish didn't mm-hmm. exist, that I didn't have to, you know, be responsible for as a viewer. However, all things considered, not too shabby, given that they could have gone wrong. Oh, so, so, so many worse ways. hmm hmm Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I, uh... I found it enjoyable and it was like a nice little oh I hadn't watched it literally since like probably high school. Yeah. Um to be honest, <clears throat> and it uh yeah, they're they're really tightly made in a way that I think that only Will Ferrell movies, I'm thinking of the SNL canon, maybe Ladies Man, which is not a good movie but but I it just, is tight. I love it has the SNL Tim structure. Meadows. Yeah. Tim Meadows is the, the best in terms of like you said earlier, you yeah, like Mike Myers is a career to look at. Yeah, for success, but like Tim I Meadows. I wish Tim is Meadows OG got more
0: swings. Me. I wish there were more comedy vehicles with him as the man. God, he's genius. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will, just, uh,
2: another thing I love about this movie, clean ninety minutes. Thank you. Thank sure. you, Mike Myers. Thank mm-hmm, you, Jay Roach. Mm-hmm. Every movie that is f- mm-hmm. 90 minutes on the dot. Thank you. Thank you so much for making that easy for me.
1: Yep. Yep. I agree entirely. Especially Uh, in comedy.
2: Like comedy, uh, you know, I think pace is a huge element in anything comedic. Like let's clip it along here. When a comedy is encroaching over two hours, like this has got to be like the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life
1: that wasn't a thing once again until apatow <laughs> yeah it just wasn't because apatow justified it which at the time you know like 2004 i understand uh you're including the improv because the improv's so funny cuz you have like Great actors mm-hmm. looking back, they're maybe not that great, but like you know, like I mean, the actors are good, but like, it just in terms of like the bits, like, is this really a bit that needs to stay on the editing room table? But uh, yeah, by including that, it just got more telescoped more and more and more and more. Uh, but yeah, he co- I think, uh, Mike Myers comes from the classic old. You know, Canadian style.
2: Oh, uh, he's second city Canada. Like this yeah, dude is exactly. old school. He is by the book. <sighs>
1: yeah, and he 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 knows exactly. Like he's coming from like planes, trains, automobiles. Uncle Buck. Yeah. Like these are the films that he's like. Okay, I'm taking a nod from these guys. He and Dave Thomas
0: know? and Rick Moranis. I'm sure. Know each yeah, other, etc. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hope
1: they do. They're all kids in the hall. <laughs>
0: They're all um, kids in the hall.
1: But yeah, <laughs> it, uh, in a way, it comes from that. uh I guess foundation is all I'm all I'm arguing.
0: Speaking of the pacing of comedy things and how it should be short, you want to get the fuck out of here?
1: Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good well, episode, everybody.
0: Thank you, Sarah, for picking Austin Powers: International Man of Mystery. Um, where can people follow you on Twitter? You didn't mention that.
2: Okay, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at SK underscore Griffith, G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H. But again, if you really want to find me and if you're listening to this, then definitely check out Rough Stuff, Check out uh the Cast and the Curious. You can listen to all those episodes now. I did think it'd be funny <laughs> when you guys emailed me. I almost replied back, like, can we watch the Fast and the Furious? Can we, can we do my thing? Yeah, and just we can the talk beginning. about
1: my yeah, thing. Yeah, right. somewhere light. I feel at home. Uh no, that's great.
0: Do you guys are do you and Bridget know what you want one? to cover after Fast and yeah. Furious has run its Yeah, okay. I
2: can't believe uh, that's the big question, but like it's funny because like sometimes i get the question of like are you guys gonna do another podcast and sometimes i want to respond like at rough stuff pod but i know that's not what people are talking about i don't know because like in terms of franchises we've pretty much seen everything else in the world that there is to see (laughs) or or that we like want to Mm. see so i don't know i mean we still got to figure out when f9 is gonna come out. That's true. I mean, if you if you guys want to green light a special Austin Powers podcast, I mean, I Bridget <laughs> and I, can, we'll do that. Abe, just, you're on. Come on, we can we can do this. We want to green light something. In.
0: We want we'll to
1: green light something. And like, <laughs> I just want it to be said uh we're in it for the bridget sarah relationship Dynamic. we're not in it necessarily for, for exactly what one it's hasn't be. seen one one has seen one and like they're dante's pilgrim descending into the inferno <laughs> that's not that that was a good in yeah that was it could good be something professor.
2: you both like and have seen that's that is my. true that is true i i do i do want to say that like oh god bridge and i were laughing like For weeks joking about like doing A crown podcast and we like Jokingly said like oh yeah our next podcast we're gonna talk uh, about The crown and then we did have people who were like I would listen to that I was like So thing I was so moved I'm so grateful But oh my god i I'm like We would do like These bits like Every week too And then like Okay so today We're gonna be talking About Prince Charles' Wardrobe mm-hmm. Specifically And talk about like the, the most boring Finite Technical things We could grasp onto Why not Star Wars
0: You could force Bridget To watch all of Star Wars
2: Oh Jesus Christ She'd hate that I I don't know, does the world need another Star Wars podcast?
0: That's what I mean, is it's completely inundated But the world needs another Bridget Sarah podcast That's what they need
2: Does the
1: world need any podcast? That is is true, why does anyone need
2: anything? I guess I'll take this back to the table and we can discuss this Because last I checked, pod did not save
1: America, so... (laughs)
0: Cast your pod upon the waters all the small beans at Gmail, or at Rough Stuff Pod. Let us know what what Sarah yes. and Bridges should cover next. Okay, that's the frame rate.
1: That's the frame rate. <laughs>